If you stand, please uh, let us read Psalm 51. We'll read the whole chapter. And this is what the Word of God says. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you are broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, to God, the God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in, in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. May the Lord add a blessing to his holy word. Amen. You may be seated. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you as we prepare to look into your word. Uh, Lord, that you would just illuminate our hearts and our minds to open up your word to us. Lord, without the Holy Spirit, uh, we could not understand anything regarding your word. And so, Lord, we pray that you would uh, give me liberty and freedom as I preach to your people. And Lord, may your people hear with glad hearts. Lord, may their hearts be uh, found on good ground. May the word sink deep into their hearts. And Lord, may this word encourage us, challenge us, rebuke us, and comfort us. And Lord, we pray now that you would bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. I know many of you, pretty much all of you, I'm sure, are familiar with Psalm 51. Uh, as I was reading different commentaries and preparing for this sermon, uh, this psalm received uh, great um, respect and honor from many of the commentaries. Uh, it was called The Brightest Gem by Charles Spurgeon, The Sinner's Guide by William Plum Plummer, A Guide to Repentance, and so on. It's one probably next to this psalm and Psalm 23. These probably are the two psalms that are the most famous. Martin Luther said of this psalm that it's probably the most song that's sung and prayed 
and of, out of all of the Psalms. Uh, the occasion of this psalm is when David fell into that sin with Bathsheba, and he had Uriah killed. And some commentators said it was probably up to a year before uh, David made confession of sin uh, regarding uh, this event. And so this is why this psalm was written. So let's look at this psalm. First, we'll look at prayer of confession, prayer of transformation, and prayer of reconciliation. Well, notice how David starts this psalm. He says, have mercy upon me, O God. But notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, have mercy upon me, O God, because I was a great king. And I slipped up one time. Have mercy upon me, O God, because, you know, I've led your people in worship. I've, I've shepherded your people. Uh, you know, I've, I've been a man of God. I've obeyed you for all these days. I've done things the right way. Have mercy upon me, O God. He doesn't say any of that. He does not make any claim, nor does he seek to say, have mercy upon me, O God, because, um, have mercy upon me, O God, because, uh, you know, it was a moment of weakness, or I shouldn't have done it. No, instead, his only claim, have mercy upon me, O God. Why? Because God is merciful. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, have mercy upon me. In other words, it says, I'm coming to you, God, because your attributes are mercy. You are merciful. Everything about you is merciful. So I'm coming to you, God, asking for mercy. There's no claim. There's no justification. There's nothing I can say. There's nothing I can do to make it right. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. And this is how God wants us to come as well. And as he continues this prayer of confession, he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. That word there means a continual washing. Sin uh, uh, defiles us. Sin brings uh, defilement and dirt upon us. And David wants to be washed, washed in the blood of Christ. And then in verse three, he says, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sins. You know, one of the hardest things to do is to convince someone that they're a sinner. It's very difficult. Husbands and wives, you guys know something about that. <laughs> How often do you tell your spouse that they're wrong for many years? It's like you're banging the head against a door. We are very crafty at, at hiding and blame shifting and justifying and deflecting and so on. In the psychology world, they call it gaslighting, where you uh, turn it around, where instead of you taking the blame, you blame the other person for it. Indeed, all of us have this issue. All of us have this problem. We justify ourselves. We commit some of the most heinous sins, and it doesn't bother us. Our consciences have been seared. Uh, there are people in prison today who will justify that their sins. They say they didn't do it, that they were wronged. It's everyone's fault except their fault. But when the Holy Spirit shines his light upon us, as it did in David, we start to see things the way that God meant for us to be seen. We start to see it God's way. When we become a Christian, 
One of the first things that God does, he begins to show us our sins. Because before that, we have a block. Everyone else can see our sins but except us. We don't see our sins. We don't see our guilt until God begins to show. And David says that my transgressions and my sins are always before me. In other words, David says, it's all I can think about. I can't believe I did this. I can't believe I killed a man. Knowing that I killed him, he was dedicated to me, devoted to me. And I, in cold blood, did this. I tried to send this man home to his wife so I could cover up my sin. He thought about it when he went to sleep. He thought about it when he woke up. He says, my sin is always before me. Have you ever had that type of remorse? The Bible says that's good at times to have that. Because that's the only way we can repent. That's the only way that that we can begin to uh, be restored by acknowledging, by experiencing, by feeling. David felt this as far as I acknowledge my transgression, my sin is always before me. I can't get it out of my mind. There's nothing I can do. I feel guilty. And because of that, he says against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Yes, David sinned against Uriah. Yes, he had him killed. Yes, he sinned against Bathsheba. Yes, he did all these things. But he says against you and you only have I sinned. You know, we live in, in, in a world where today we're only concerned about peoples who sinned against us horizontally. We're worried about people who sin horizontally against us. And we hold grudges and we're bitter and we're angry and so on. And we remember and we, we and we a lot of counseling today is to go back and and just replay all those people who wronged you and who hurt you and so on. But David says that my sin ultimately is against God. When we sin, we sin against God. It says against you and you only have I sinned. In other words, God is the lawgiver. I have to answer to God. For my sin, I have to deal with God. God is the one I have to withhold. Uriah the Hittite is dead, but God is still alive. And God's going to hold David and account for that sin. That's why he says against you and you only have our sin. So that God, so that God may be found just when he speaks and blameless when he judges. David says whatever the judgment is, God is righteous and just. God is fair and he's righteous. And this is what David's saying. And then he says, what, why is the reason he did this? Prayer of confession. Why? Because he was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin, his mother conceived him. Here we have the doctrine of original sin. Now David's saying that he's not blaming his mother because he sinned, but he's saying that he sinned because he's a sinner. Now, you kids, the blessing it is to be raised in a covenant home, to be raised in a, you know, to come to church every Sunday and to go to Sunday school and to do youth activities and so on. But just like David, just like all of us, you have that sin nature in you. That's why you have such problems obeying your parents. That's why you murmur under your breath. That's why you say the things that you do. Why? Because we have the sin nature. I remember when I was a kid, um, my grandmother passed about two weeks ago, and I gave some remarks on behalf of the family, and I shared a story. When I was a kid, I was about nine, ten years old, and I was playing 
I was kicking the ball in my, in, in my grandmother's yard and having a good time. And, and I kicked it and I broke her window. And immediately horror came upon me because, <laughs> you know, back in those days, um, you know, my parents are from the country. I'm from the Maryland, D.C. area, but my parents are from South Carolina. And in the South, when you, you don't get a spanking, you get a whipping. <laughs> and a good whipping is when you cry yourself to sleep. <laughs> so I thought, I'm going to get a whipping from my dad and my grandmother. <laughs> so what did I do? I lied. Did I do it? No. Uh, my dad said, did you break the window? No, it wasn't me. <laughs> it wasn't me. I don't know who did it. <laughs> if Pastor Troxel was there, I might have blamed him, but it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it was obvious I did it. People saw me out there kicking the ball, but I was <laughs> intent on lying, saying that I didn't do it. My dad had to threaten to break me in two for me to confess <laughs> that I did it. <laughs> But why did I do that? Because, as the Bible says, kids go from the womb speaking lies. It's, it's that sin nature in us that we have. And this is what David is saying. The reason why I did this is because I'm a sinner. What do you often hear from people? If, if, people, if, if people could talk to David today, especially the modern man, he would say something like this, David, you're better than that. You're better than that, David. Come on, David. You know better. You're the king. You're righteous. You're a man of God. You had to slip up. Do better. David would say, no, I'm not better than that. He said, that was what was in my heart. It's interesting when you look at athletes and entertainers and, and movie stars and so on, when they get in trouble, what do you often hear? Here, this is what you hear. I guess they were hanging out with the wrong crowd. Got influenced by the wrong people. You know, but perhaps those stars and entertainers and athletes are the wrong crowd themselves. Perhaps they are just as guilty or just as much um, culpable of those crimes as anyone else. David says, I did it because I'm a sinner. That's why I did it. I was brought forth in iniquity and sin that my mother conceived me. Because of the sin nature, there's none righteous. No, not one. All of us are capable of sins like this. And this is why God put this psalm here, to warn us. David, a man after God's own heart, because we all have this sin nature. If any man think he stands, take heed, lest he falls. Often, have you heard people who fell, fallen into gross sin? They say something like this. I don't know how I got there. I can't believe this happened. If you would have told me that I would have done this, I never would have believed it. If you told David this a couple years before he did, he probably would have said the same thing. There's no way I could do that. What did Jesus tell Peter? You're going to deny me three times. Peter said, absolutely not. I will not. Because I'm better than that, Jesus. But yet, we all have that sin nature. We all have to be on guard. And then he says, Thou desire truth in the inward parts. In other words, David says this, that 
God is looking for a heart that loves him. God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's what God looks at. He looks at our heart. And that's the problem Jesus had with the Pharisees. You Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup is full of, of, of poison and excess. Al Martin gave a great illustration of this. That suppose um, your four or five-year-old daughter wants to help you clean some nice china. And she's cleaning the outside of the cup. And she goes, look, mommy. And the mommy goes, that's beautiful. You did a great job. But the mom doesn't check the inside of the cup. And then a couple weeks later, the husband comes home and says, hey, uh, the boss is coming over. Uh, we have an important dinner party uh, uh, coming. And the wife goes, great, I'll get out the fine china. She's getting the food ready and everything, put out the fine china, looks inside the coffee cups and, and the uh, saucers. And what does she see? Nothing but old coffee, ice cream, all just gooey in there. She's horrified. Isn't this what Jesus said that the Pharisees were? Outside, they were righteous. Outside, they look good. It's not enough just to come to church. God looks at our hearts. He looks at our motives. He looks at our wills and so on. And so that's our first part there, prayer of confession. This is how we ought to pray, confessing our sins. The second one, I'll move a little faster, is prayer of transformation. Notice there in verse 7, he talks about purge me with the hyssop. Wash me and I shall be white in the snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. In other words, David's asking for a new heart. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. In other words, purge, wash. Think about when you've been outside and you're dirty and muddy and, and all these things. When you come in, are you going to come in? In, the, in your dirty clothes, you kids, you've been outside, and you're going to jump into that nice bed with those white sheets and everything's been washed. Won't your parents be horrified? Get off the bed. You're dirty. You need to take a shower. And that's what uh, David is saying. Wash me, Lord. I'm defiled because of my sin. Make me clean. Purge me with hyssop. Make me hear joy and gladness. Make me to hear that you have forgiven me. That's what he wants to hear. Help me to hear that the bones you have broken. What's that mean? That God's pressure has been upon him. That his convicting power has been up upon him. And yet, John Calvin says in this verse that, that God already told him that he was going to be forgiven. That his sins were going to be put away. And yet, because of the conviction, David needed to hear it again. That the bones you broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, Lord. Put it aside. Now, when you discipline your kids, I said the last thing you should say after you finish disciplining them, tell them that you love them, and that you restored them back into good graces. And this is what David wants, to be restored. In verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That word create is the same word in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, he created. In other words, David says, create, create something in me that's new. Make me new. Take out that which is old. Take out that which is defiled. Create in me a clean heart and renew what a steadfast spirit within me. 
You know, if, as you watch uh, television, a lot of these uh, home improvement shows, there's, there's no uh, station that is more loved than HGTV. I don't know how many of you guys like that. I know. My wife loves it. It's, um, you know, you got the Property Brothers. It's a shame. I know all these people and see there's... Uh, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> let's see, there's Nick and, it was a jo- I forgot, who is it, Joanna and someone, well, whoever. And, uh, yeah. But, you know, the point, uh, when you look at these shows, when the show first starts, you see a house that is, is run down. It's dirty. The, the roof needs to be uh, repaired or removed. The floor needs to be tore up. You see them, they have to take out the counters and so on. You see the transformation. At the end of the show, every single person is like amazed as they look at the show. Look at the new countertops. Look at the fixtures. Look at the kitchen. The kitchen is so wide. They show beginning and end. They show the old and the new. And suddenly the house looks totally different. I believe this is what David is saying here. That God would make him different. That he would create in him a new heart, a clean heart, and renew that steadfast spirit within him. Renovate me. And he says, do not cast me away from your presence and take your Holy Spirit from me. You know, without our lives, with our spiritual lives are based on really the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that which has regenerated us. You must be born again. You must be born by the Spirit. And David is afraid that if God leaves him, if God leaves any of us, what will happen? He is the author, the agent. He is the one that dwells within us, makes intercession for us, helps us, convicts us, encourages us, gives us that assurance. And David says, please do not take your Holy Spirit from me. It's interesting when when God was angry with Israel in in Exodus when they... um, we're worshiping the golden calf. And God says, I'll no longer be with you. And Israel mourned. Moses says, Lord, if you're not going to be with us, then please don't send us. And how we ought to have that same attitude. That what can we do if God is taken away from us? What can we do if the Holy Spirit is taken away from us? Jesus says that, that the strong man, which is the devil, before we became a Christian, ruled our house. But the stronger man, Jesus, came. And now the Holy Spirit lives within us. And if, and if the Holy Spirit leaves, surely Satan will come back. And then my last point here is the prayer of reconciliation. The prayer of reconciliation. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit. In other words, David wants to be brought back. And to that good relationship, like he used to be, to have worship be a joy, to have fun again as a Christian, to be blessed, to enjoy ourselves, to enjoy God. I wonder as you look at yourself, as you examine yourself, how are things with you and God you know, sometimes when God leaves, we don't even know. But sometimes he does leave. You know, it says in the confession, we talked about it this morning in Sunday school, that sometimes because of our sins, God will withhold the light of his countenance and assurance from us. 
and that brings misery and suffering. Really, the way to be happy is to be holy. You know, sometimes we need to examine ourselves when we are dealing with depression and so on. Not that sin is the only reason for depression. That's not the case at all. If you look at Job, you saw that he was upright. But perhaps we do need to examine it. Because without God, we cannot have the joy of our salvation. We cannot worship as we ought. We cannot pray as we ought. We cannot do uh, the things that we need to do spiritually unless the Holy Spirit is with us. It's God that enables us to come here and worship. It's God that enables us to pray and to hear the preaching of the word and to do private devotions and to, uh, to live for him and, and to, be, um, to worship him. We do this through the Spirit of God. Without him, we cannot do it. He is essential for our spiritual life. And that's why David says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Keep me and uphold me. Restore me. Reconcile me. He says, You do this, then I'll teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will be converted unto you. Because David says, I know that other people experiencing the same thing that I experienced. And I can tell them, and I can teach them, and I can witness to them about the goodness of God and about the mercy of God and about the grace of God. Sometimes God does permit us to fall into sin so that we can minister to others, help others who have been there so that they do not be discouraged isn't something when someone says, oh, I've been through that myself. It brings encouragement to realize that we're not alone. And David asks for deliverance from the guilt of bloodshed so that he might praise God. Open my lips, I may show forth your praise. In other words, he wants restoration again. He wants to enjoy. He's in, he says in Psalm, I believe, 84, I was glad when he said, let us go into the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said that. I want to go into the house of God. Worship is a joy. Loving God is a joy. I've been miserable because of this sin. He says, remove it from me so I can worship with a clean conscience. I can delight myself in it again. That's what David is praying. And he says if there's some way he could have made up for it, he would have done it. He says this. He says, if there was some way he could have done it, if, he says, if, he said, you do not desire a sacrifice or else I would have given. He says, a broken and contrite heart. This is what God wants. These he will not despise. And then he ends it in 18, 19. He says, do good to your good pleasure. You know, David thought that perhaps he has done something to hinder the work of God because David was zealous to see the temple of God being built up. He thought his sin that he did hindered the work of God. And so he prays for God's people. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. That's what he prays. He prays for God's people. Then he says, what will be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness? If our hearts are right, with a clear conscience, then God loves our acts of worship. For Thanksgiving with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Well, this is a psalm of repentance and a psalm of prayer. Just a couple of applications. First of all, 
this is that we see how dangerous sin really is and how destructive it is. Hebrews says, let us set aside the sin which so easily besets us. Nothing hinders our Christian race than sin. When you think of runners, if you watch the Olympics and you see how they run, they barely have any clothes on. They have small little short shorts and, and little T-shirts. Why? Why? Because they don't want any extra weight. They want to be free when they run. And the writer of Hebrews is telling us the same thing. Sin is that weight that weighs us down, that bears us down. It's destructive. And the devil is so crafty because the devil tells us when he tempts us to sin, go ahead and sin because God forgives. God is loving. God, don't worry about it. But when you do it, then he's like, you can't go back to God. You can't uh, go back to him. He won't hear you. You're a hypocrite. How can you go to church with all and, and be a hypocrite? We see how powerful, how destructive sin is. And we've seen it over and over and again in the Bible, how sin has hurt the worst, has, has done much damage to God's people. Moses couldn't go into a Canaan because of his sin. Adam, his sin, threw the whole world into a destruction. And... Misery. We see Lot and Abraham barely escaping with their sin. Lot moving into Sodom and Abraham giving Sarah away, lying about it. We see Peter, what happened to him? Church tradition says that Peter, every time he heard a cock crow, he started crying because when he betrayed our Lord. And then we see even Jesus, the sinless lamb of God, who had to drink the cup of his father's wrath before our sins. Jesus was not spared. If it's possible, remove this cup from me. That's how destructive our sins. Our sins put Jesus on the cross. He died for our sins. This is why sin is so destructive. And this is why we need to be very careful to walk humbly before our God, to flee sin, to live for God. But then it ends on a positive note. The second application is this, is that we can come to God for mercy. God is merciful. To him, there's a fountain filled with blood flowing from Emmanuel's vein, Sinners plunge beneath that flood, loosen all their guilty stains. God invites us to come to his fountain, the fountain of Christ, the blood that can purge us and cover our sins. We have sinned every day we sin. We sin repeatedly. But we go to God asking for forgiveness. Well, how much is enough? Isn't it too much? Well, Peter asked that question. Lord, how often should we forgive our brothers? Seven times? What did Jesus say? No, 70 times seven. 
And if Jesus told Peter that, how often does he forgive us? God is a forgiving God. Let us go to his stream and find mercy in times of need. An amazing passage of scripture is the, is the parable of the prodigal son. That should cause us to pause and be stunned by God's mercy and grace. The prodigal went to his father and asked for his livelihood, his inheritance. He took it, spent it all, wasted it, and then came back. And what does it say? That the father rejected him. No, it says the father was looking for him, ran to him, hugged him, kissed him, gave him a big party, gave him a robe, restored him to joy, to his position. How much more does God do that for us? We have a patient God, a loving God, a merciful God. So let us not faint when we do sin. Because it says in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitude, blessed are those who mourn. Yes, we should mourn over our sins, but they should be comforted. Why will we comfort it? Because of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus covers our sins. We say that verse all the time when we talk about, uh, when we do our prayer of confession. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Do we take that to heart? Do we hear what he's saying? That's God's promise to us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. This is a prayer of confession that David prayed. And yet we will have to continue to pray this often. Because we will continue to sin. Because we have a body. We have an old nature. We have a flesh that still sins. But we need to come here again and again and again. Praying for repentance. Praying for forgiveness praying that God continue to transform us and God will hear us and will answer our prayers. Let us pray. Lord, we we thank you for this reminder in Psalm 51. Lord, how difficult it is for us to walk uprightly, to, to live according to your holy word. We fail, we sin often, and in deed, in action, and in our tongues. Lord, just have mercy upon us. Not according to our own merits, but according to the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, help us again and again to come to you and to be encouraged by you. So, Lord, help us in this regard. Help us to fight this good fight of faith. Help us put on the whole armor of God. Help us to walk with you on a daily basis. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.